This Ends at Prom is a critical analysis podcast and is being produced in the midst of the SAG-AFTRA strike. The WGA may have made their tentative deal, but the members of SAG-AFTRA are still striking today. Without the labor of the actors currently on strike, the movie being reviewed here wouldn't exist. For more information, please visit the Freelance Solidarity Project at freelancesolidarity.org. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Hey. Hey. <laughs> That's how the song goes. Hey. Hey, 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 teach, can you uh, leave those kids alone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, prom party, and welcome to another edition of Spooky Season. And BJ is especially excited because this is... Her favorite Kevin Williamson movie. This is my favorite Kevin Williamson movie, and we are finally talking about it. I know it's blasphemous. Everybody says Scream is the best. There's even the bold people who say Teaching Mrs. Tingle is the best. Both episodes we have already done before. But I am ride or die for the faculty, and I cannot wait to talk about it. Then there's the very probably small minority of people who think I know what you did last summer is the best. You know what? I'm sure those people exist. I have never met one. I think that they do exist. I quite enjoy that movie. But to say it's his best work, mm, false. That's how I feel about that. Correct. (laughs) But yes, we are talking about The Faculty, a movie that is turning 25 years old. Oof, that made me feel some kind of way. But I don't care. I love this movie. I will never pass up the opportunity to talk about it. And the fact that I get to talk about it with you and like ooze out all of the theories that have just been living in my brain for the last two and a half decades. You get uh, to ooze out all the parasites from your face. I got to get all these parasites like big, to just- gross pimples. <laughs> just leak out of my face like a Dr. Pimple Popper video. That's yeah. what we've got going on here today. Lovely. <laughs> so Harmony, what is your relationship with this movie? I never properly watched it until you showed it to me probably like six years ago now. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. But I distinctly remember- Catching it on TV sometime being maybe like 13, 14 years old, and it was just running on fucking FX or something, probably. Mm -hmm. And it was towards the end when like the Queen Space Monsters revealed. And I remember going, that CG doesn't look very good. And then turned (laughs) the channel. (laughs) That was it. Oh, what a shame. (laughs) This movie did play on TV quite a bit, which is a weird thing considering the last like, I don't know, 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, has just a naked woman. Um, they did always blur her out. I remembered that. Of course. But I was like, that's bold. Just 
having this naked, presumably high schooler on TV. Okay. Yeah, well, she's not human. No, she's, so she's an alien. Yeah. One, one, of, one of the great getting out of a pool butt reveals that we have not seen one of since Cruel Intentions with Ryan Phillippe's butt. You're absolutely right, which I did get to see that in theater and hear an entire group of people hooting and hollering about that butt. He's got a cute butt. He does have a cute butt. He does. <laughs> it's his best side, one might say. Mm, I don't know. He's got a pretty cute face. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. but. <laughs> so, BJ, obviously, as we have said already, immediately into this episode, you love this movie and you've loved oh, it forever. I love this movie. What, uh, what's your history with it? Uh, yet another example of a movie I saw way too young, rented at the video store, um, took home, watched it a million times, and I watched it a million times for two reasons and two reasons only. Uh, number one, Clea Duvall. Yes. I worship at the altar of Clea Duvall, as does, I think, any queer woman of a certain age. That was a very big deal for me. Uh, and, uh, option two, uh, Famke Janssen. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Most people obviously recognize her from the X-Men movies as Jean Grey. I was obsessed with her from House on Haunted Hill. And then I was really obsessed with her um, when I was younger watching this movie. You know, when you have a lot of feelings that you're not 100% sure what they mean, but you know they mean something. Well, this is a movie where you get infected with, like, alien squid cephalopods Mm -hmm. and everyone gets hotter. Yes, and we will we will talk into what the messaging of this movie is, and we're also going to talk about the ending because I have a very controversial take on this ending, which is not kind of a the popular opinion, so to speak. So I'm excited to to talk about that as well. Cool. But this movie just really hit me with a lot of the things I like. There's camp casting because we have people like Piper Laurie and Jason Patrick and uh, John. Stewart in here. Is John Stewart really being camp or is he just not the strongest actor? No, he doesn't have to be camp. The the casting decision of him in general is a camp decision. With a menacing goatee. Right. Uh, I mean, then we also have like, you know, we have baby Newworth here who is very much like a, a queer icon to me. We have Salma, very uh, important Salma. person in both of our lives. I love when we looked up the trailer for this. The official Miramax YouTube channel was like the faculty trailer. Selma Hayek, John Stewart. <laughs> I'm like, right. oh yeah, the stars of this movie. The stars of this movie, people who have maybe 10 minutes of screen time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this movie just, it really resonated with me. It appeals to a lot of my sensibilities in what I like in horror because there's some moments that are really scary. There are moments that are really fun. It has, you know, complicated messaging. It has teens fighting adults. Stuff I love. And it has the banter of you know golden era kevin williamson what's not to love that mixed with you know body snatchers and the thing but for the 90s exactly and we'll talk about this being because this is also like this is a sci-fi movie it is a sci-fi horror movie yes it, but it leans more heavily into horror but yes it is sci-fi but yeah it's it's an alien movie and it's an alien movie that doesn't look like a lot of alien movies it's also borrowing from a lot of the same th- thematic elements as something like disturbing behavior. It, it It's just a really nice blend of a lot of genres that I really enjoy. And like you said earlier, the only real beef that I have with this movie is the, the, the kind of not great CG. Like the, it's, it's the nineties. Like there was, like, Unless you had Spielberg money, this is what you were getting. It, it depends. Some movies look better than others. Um, I will say that like, 
I love Robert Rodriguez in the way that BJ's like Kevin Williamson. I'm like, but Robert Rodriguez. This is my favorite Robert Rodriguez movie. Rodriguez. Which I I know is controversial because Rodriguez has made so many great things and this is just, you know, something I feel passionate about. But this is my favorite of his movies as well because uh, I think it, I think it lets him play to a lot of his strengths without it being an original Robert Rodriguez script. Yeah, no, I understand that. I don't know what my favorite Rodriguez movie is. It's probably Desperado. It's probably Desperado. It, it probably is, but like from Dusk Till Dawn, Planet Terror, like mm-hmm. Rodriguez had a good run from like El Mariachi all the way up into like maybe Machete Kills where it was like, no, dude's films were all like at the very least entertaining. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so Shark Boy and Lava Girl, but like aside from that. <laughs> I like Sharkboy and Lava Girl. I saw that in theaters. Of course you in did. In 3D as a high school. One of the most <laughs> tremendous overacting performances you will find in any film, courtesy of George Lopez. Mr. Electricity Dad, not Mr. Electric, not Mr. Electricity. We didn't need that line, but thank you for it. No. <laughs> Thanks, it's, George. It's great. I, I was talking about that with somebody at work yesterday, actually, and it was about how we were talking about house or houseu, if you Hasu. need to differentiate between the two houses. And it was like, listen, this movie makes way more sense when you realize that it's about like child's dreams and nightmares. Mm-hmm. And when it's coming from child logic. Yeah. So it's like, that's why I'm like, eh, I don't love Shark Boy and Lava Girl, but I understand it. Yeah. So at least like, you know, Rodriguez is creative in that one. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it's Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And that that's where my super duper fandom of this movie is coming from stronger. Like, that's my guy. <laughs> and he did a lot of the CG in a lot of his movies himself. And that's kept the cost down and that's why they're not maybe like highest studio quality maybe that's why spy kids kind of looks like that <laughs> but it, there's there's a charm to it there is a charm to it and there is a charm to the stuff in this movie as well well we're mixing practical and cg which helps a lot which is my favorite way to do it of course but if you have not seen the faculty you've had 25 years to do it but here's your plot synopsis and oh i got some thoughts about this plot synopsis To the students at Harrington High, the principal and her posse of teachers have always been a little odd, but lately they've been behaving positively alien. Controlled by otherworldly parasites, the faculty try to infect students one by one. Cheerleader Delilah, Jordana Brewster, football player Stan, Sean Hitosi, drug dealer Zeke, Josh Hartnett, and new girl Mary Beth, Laura Harris, team up with some of their other classmates to fight back against the invaders. You want to know how I feel about that synopsis? How dare you relegate Stokely, played by Clea Duvall, and Casey, played by Elijah Wood, to other classmates? Yeah. Fuck you, whoever wrote that. They're they're not the cool kids. They're the rejects, BJ. But they're the heroes, and that's why I'm mad. I understand that. (laughs) Like, that's like... That's like saying... That's like saying Scream is a movie about... Tatum Riley and her friend. Like, no, Sydney Prescott's in charge the same way that, like, Casey saves the day. Stokely is one of the heroes. What? Also, just like in general, how it's written is like, they always thought the principal was kind of odd. And then it cues, like, positively alien. Cues the fucking, like, Larry David face and bomb, 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 bomb. Like, that's how it's, like, written is like, it's written like a fucking scurry comedy. It really is. Um, yeah, so not a fan of that synopsis, but whatever. It is telling you some things. <laughs> so because this movie is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, it is just ahead of the legendary year of 1999. We're going to have a busy year next year. Oh, my 
everything. Every movie is an anniversary movie next yeah. year. Fortunately, we did most of them already. Yeah, but we've done a lot more. <laughs> there's still a lot more. So, Harmony, what context do you want to bring to the table for the faculty? So, the context I have for this is really just people giving Kevin Williamson like money and carte blanche to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. Hey, you rein- you reinvigorated the slasher genre. Do you want to try and reinvigorate the sci-fi genre for teens today? And they give him a crack at it, and he was originally going to direct it, but then decided to do Teaching Mrs. Tingle, the only film he ever directed, and we've covered it before and have much better opinions of it than people did at the time. Mm-hmm. But because he did not direct it, that's where we bring my dude in. We bring in Robert Rodriguez, and there are some very distinctive hallmarks of this. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the most Rodriguez thing I can possibly imagine is that Zeke drives that car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like there's the scene where Zeke drives the car into the bu- like the school bus and it blows up and I audibly went this is how you know this is a Robert Rodriguez movie and Harmony's response was no you know it's a Robert Rodriguez movie because he's driving that car specifically that kind of a <laughs> that, car that like very specific <laughs> Rodriguez muscle car yep no that that's how you know it is a Rodriguez movie and also Salma's here Salma is here and you know what dressed down not wearing makeup coughing she's still so hot she's so Salma hot. <laughs> is the most gorgeous person ever and I'm glad she's here <laughs> even though she's like not super important enough to get top billing on the trailer I know <laughs> at least not on the YouTube thing so there, there's that the one of the trailers we watched of this ended up presenting this as like Kevin Williamson the writer of Scream and I know what you did last summer and Robert Rodriguez, who did Desperado and From Dust Till Dawn. And it shows clips of those movies mm-hmm. and then shows you the actual trailer. Yep. They very much were like, hey, hey, kids, hey, kids, you like this stuff. You're going to love this. I mean, I do like this stuff. I do like this stuff, like, too. <laughs> there, are, there are things that just get me hyped going like, yeah, I'll sign up for anything you're going to make. John Woo making a Christmas movie? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Apparently, John Woo made a movie that is... a. Him doing Charlie Chaplin in the early 80s, and I would love to see it. Yeah. That's all I need to be sold on something is, a guy I like's making a thing? Great. Let's go. <laughs> so th- that's the quick version of context for this. Um, most of the people that are in this are either rising stars or they're like about to be – or like they're just at the start of being stars. Mm-hmm. So there's not too much to go into as far as that is concerned. BJ, do you have any additional context for this? I do have a little bit of additional context for this. So – the the idea of the faculty was actually concocted by two writers, David Wechter and Bruce Kimmel. They wrote this in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were shopping it around. It was the story about, you know, alien high school. That that was kind of it. And it didn't go anywhere. There were no buyers. Nobody had anything. It's and not then, a strong time for science fiction. Especially in the early 90s. Oh, God, yeah. no. Like creature features, you can get away with like a sort of video rental quality creature feature. But this kind of needs a bigger budget than that. Yes. Um, so then what changes is Scream. Uh, Scream is obviously a humongous film in 1996. It changes a lot of things um, for you know, the world Mm -hmm. Um, changes the slasher genre. It proves that Kevin Williamson is just the fucking man. And so Miramax, which is the company owned by Bob and a horrible human being, Harvey Weinstein, um, they track that script down, they buy it and then they go, cool. We need to bring in Kevin Williamson to kind of, redo this a bit so that it's hipper, it makes more he's, sense for the 90s. He's our guy. He knows what he's doing. He's our guy. God, like, just, 
I get so upset every time we put on a movie and I see the Miramax logo and I'm like, oh, Miramax, because I have so much warm, fuzzy feelings for that production company. Because I'm like, so many movies that were really important to me were made by Miramax. But then it's like, ew. (laughs) We can't have nice things. Um, And another thing that was going on to the 90s that I think has a pretty big influence on this movie getting made is that as we're inching closer towards the new millennium and Y2K, we're starting to get an increase in interest in sci-fi films because things are getting very technological, like cyber stuff's getting really cool. And so even though this is not a tech-based or cyber sort of thing, there is an interest in science fiction. I mean, the year before this, Men in Black was one of the biggest films of the year. Exactly. Men in Black is a big deal. The X-Files is going on right now. Like, it's a big time for sci-fi. So they were kind of hoping that what Kevin Williamson did for the slasher genre, they could do for sci-fi horror. Mm -hmm. That was the goal. And... We're bringing back genre. Yeah, we're very much so. And so the movie ended up bringing in about $63.2 million against a budget of fifteen. So, like, it did well. It's not, like, an explosion the it way Scream was. It didn't do Scream was. well, but, yeah, yeah it, did, but it, it did well. Yeah, but it did do fine. Um, the movie, critically, I think, was incredibly misunderstood upon the time of release. They thought it was, like, really cheesy. They didn't fully understand it. But in the last, I would say, probably five to ten years – there's been a little bit of a change in the retrospective on it where people recognize this as one of the most underrated films in Robert Rodriguez's filmography, that mm-hmm. it was a lot smarter than people gave it credit for at the time. It's way funnier than people give it credit for being. And um, it's it's got a cult following because the people who really liked it when it came out have never shut up about it. And they've luckily been able to infect other people into liking it as well. Well, yeah, it's the people who like you will never love a movie as much as you will when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like I'm obsessed with a lot of movies I've seen as an adult, but I don't know if they just that pure distilled love for something you have when you're like 15. Mm-hmm. And so if you see this movie and then you grow up and now you're a person who's writing about film or talking about film or making films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can cite this film and just being like, no, you all didn't understand. Mm hmm. And we're going to talk about some of the things that people didn't quite understand a little bit later. But before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hello there, prom party. Hopefully you're enjoying your spooky season now that it is properly underway. We've got some fun stuff coming up over on the Patreon this month. Our Sadie Hawkins dances, we're just covering some some boys, getting getting some stuff done. <laughs> we're doing uh, the classic teen boy movie of The Lost Boys and the tragically underseen Vampires vs. the Bronx. It's about gentrification. They throw a dobo in a vampire's face. It's awesome. For our Musical Milestones episode, we are covering a, a bit of a broad topic rooted around a single subject with Nightmare Before Christmas, Hot Topic Culture, Eyeliner boys and spooky girls. So we're just continuing BJ's trip down memory lane as a former emo scene kid. (laughs) We've also crossed the halfway point of Mike's so-called life. We actually just did a Halloween episode last month. So I'm curious to see where we're going to end up going this month because this show goes a lot of weird places I wasn't prepared for. In addition to all of those episodes, you can look forward to our monthly playlist it is a bit spooky this month bj's wellness newsletter and access to the always important for our knowledge suggestion box in addition to just you know the vast back catalog that we have available over there 
If at this time you're not able to support the podcast, we totally understand. As always, just feel free to share us with any friends who you think enjoy what we do or give us a five-star rating wherever it is you listen to your podcasts because doing so is truly the best way that you can help our podcast grow and continue to do its thing for ever, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Thank you so much. And now back to the movie. Alrighty, so because this movie is an ensemble piece going down the row of like characters, I think it is a little silly to mm -hmm. me. Um, but there are so many themes in this movie, and I think that's kind of the more fun thing. The first one that I want to talk about is just the teachers in general and kind of what they represent. So what are your feelings about these teachers? Well, for one thing, I love that they tease the uh, hey, teachers, leave them kids alone of another brick in the wall mm -hmm. right after the opening scene where it's like, surprise, principal's dead. And then you just get the baseline for it. And it's like, oh, now they're coming for kids. Mm -hmm. Like, that's kind of the lead into that, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it is very perfect to have Robert Patrick be a football coach for starters. It's so good to cast him in that role. For those who don't know who Robert Patrick is, he's the T-1000. He's the fucking Terminator. scary metal he's Terminator. He's the fucking Terminator. He's the goopy Terminator who runs with like karate chop hands. Yeah, he's the one who can like shoot guns rapid fire without blinking. Yes. Like he's so scary. Robert Patrick, like career villain Robert Patrick, I'm sure that he has it somewhere in his filmography, but I'm like looking through, I'm like, I don't think he's ever played anything where he's not like a scary Republican. Right. Or like a, like a psycho or whatever, because that's just what his face looks like. And he's so perfect in this as that, even before he gets like infected with the alien squid things. Right. He's like freaking out and flipping tables and shit like that. Yeah, he's such a hard ass before this even starts. He's got a, a disposition like steel and a face like granite. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that this movie also has no qualms in making, you know, we talked about this with Bottoms a little bit, how they take the subtext of so many teen movies and make it textual. They do the same thing with the faculty because you have that great moment where they're talking about the budget mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, we don't have enough money to, you know, pay for the stage for the theater program because all of the... Uh, football players, like they're going to get new jerseys and everything because this is a football town. Like they have no problem in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you going to bring Usher into your film, barely <laughs> give him lines, and then put him in a raggedy outfit? No. You're going to put him in a nice jersey that he tucks into his jeans, which is one of the scariest things I've ever seen in any movie. My fa my favorite part about this like scene, though, because this is before the invasion starts, Yeah. but the principal's talking about uh, the budget, and they're like, well, we could reuse the set from our town. We did that last time. Uh, that's a great theater joke, because for those that don't know, our town doesn't have a set. Oh, good. <laughs> so Perfect. <laughs> like, that joke is so specific. But so, like, if you know, you know. Like, that's, oh, that's a great There's joke. a lot of little jokes in this that you really like. You made us rewind it so we can look at Casey's porn collection. and he, what, Boob what, magazine. Boob magazine. <laughs> it's Be like beer brand beer, but it's like porn brand porn. It's yeah. boob magazine. BJ was specifically like, you know how you love beer brand beer? And I'm like, oh, my favorite brand. It's like <laughs> boob magazine. <laughs> I hope I would have loved it so much more if it was porn magazine. I know, like porno magazine. Porn brand <laughs> porno. But you know what? It's the 90s. Elijah Wood's a tit man. I respect that. You know, I respect it as well. He kind of ends up with a girl who doesn't, but I guess that's the difference between fantasy and reality. Here in <laughs> high school, not a lot of people are stacked in the late 90s. That's very true. We're more 
preoccupied with being thin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like all of the teachers, they all they're all like a hive minded virus. Once they get infected, they all function largely the same, which is not doing a good job at covering up the fact that they are menacing. Mm-hmm. Like they're sort of trying, but also not really. They're more so ruling with intimidation. Yes. A lot of them are ruling with intimidation or in the instance of like Famke Janssen, she's like very meek and she's kind of a pushover and, you know, she's letting a super senior walk all over her and like. God, super senior is not a term I've heard since I was about 19. He's a super senior. He I got guess. held back. He got held back. I know. I'm just saying like, God, that's one of those things that gets left behind in high school and then you don't think about it again. <laughs> I love that they also emphasize very heavily that he's a super senior because he so clearly wants to fuck his teacher and she very, very much wants to fuck him. But they have to make it abundantly clear. He's he is, of age. He's of age cool. and yeah. he shouldn't be in high school Great. anymore. So this isn't weird. And it's, it's like, not, it's still weird, it's but weird. okay. It's just <laughs> not legally as weird. Right. Um, but yeah, classic, classic teen movie trope. She removes the glasses and then she's a hottie. I know. <laughs> And then she's like, I'm going to put my foot so far up your ass, you're going to be kissing my toes. And it's like, um, okay. Yeah, she did a <laughs> lot right. for me. She's just, she's just putting it down. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're going to talk about the sexual subversion of this movie because there's a lot of it. But yes, like she's the big um, 180 as far as the teachers are concerned. Everyone else is just kind of goes from being like a stuck up teacher that we see a small amount of to an asshole. I mean, we do jo- get a John little... Stewart seems nice. Yeah, John Stewart doesn't have like a huge pivot. Piper Laurie's pivot is a like is noticeable, but it's a little bit more subtle. She's a little bit more confident, mm-hmm. and this is also like because we're doing Carrie later in the month. Uh, surprise if you didn't know that, but uh, Piper Laurie's in that too, and it's nice to see these like two sides of her. Well, isn't she the one who gets like her funding cut or whatever? So when she stabs mm-hmm. the principal, it's like it's collusion. Mm-hmm. So it's like a red herring of just like oh yeah, you know, teachers who are just. She's just teaming she's up with the done. she's teaming up with the football coach and just decides to murder the principal and is like, oh, I always wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Which I'm assuming she's infected at that point, but yes. maybe not. She maybe is, maybe she, she happened to get infected after that. And she just felt like it, and it's the perfect <laughs> crime. No, she's infected, and you know that because she goes from having like her mousy hair and an updo to having this like very amazing voluminous bob like okay, that's well, that's how you know the difference sure <laughs> but yes john stewart's here he's got a goatee he's a science teacher who's way too confident touching strange animals yeah okay so you know casey finds this like little alien insect this, looking this, motherfucker this kazoo that he found <laughs> on the football field yeah and john stewart's like i'm just gonna put on a glove and i'm gonna put my hand in it it's like what are you doing? This is like those videos you see of people who are like, I'm visiting Australia. Look at this like orange octopus that I found. It's so cute. Instagram. And everyone's like, put it down. It's like lethally poisonous. <laughs> and they're like hundreds of miles away from the nearest town. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, you're going to die. <laughs> this man has no concerns. Like, I'm willing to bet that if I will die prematurely, it'll be good. It'll be because I'm going to go, look, a bear. It's 100% going to be because you're going to be like, I want to pet the bear. You're if but not, I know what a bear is capable if of. If not friend, why friend shape? I will, I'm willing to roll those dice to pet a bear. This guy's like, I don't know what this thing's capable of. I'm going to touch it. I know. 
And like, what is fun though is we get the little scene where like uh, Stokely puts her hand against the glass and it like matches her hands. Obviously, that's it's like nerve endings. Yeah, it's like the nerve endings, and it's like, oh, it's cute. It's like you know, it's, it's mimicking bonding. her. It's bonding. But also, all I can think about is like every single person who's ever gone into a Spencer's Gifts, and there's that glowing orb thing that oh, yeah, like plasma goes balls. the plasma ball, and you, everyone touches it. And like now that you know, COVID's a thing, and I'm way more hyper aware of germs. All I can think about is how fucking gross those things have to be. And we were all just touching them. I mean, it's probably as gross as any doorknob. Yeah, gross. At least I see, but at least I know that. I'll like put like toilet paper, paper towel on my hands when I'm touching like doorknobs in public bathrooms. But my dumbass was like walking around a Spencer's just like, oh, I'm gonna touch it. I don't know. I went to the Museum of Neon a few months ago with Sarah Marshall and we went to the plasma section. It was super fun. We were only allowed to touch one thing. Like everything else was like, don't touch it. But we got to touch one of the balls and it was really fun. You touching balls? I am touching balls. <laughs> Museum of Neon, by the way, in Los Angeles. If you've never been, um, it's lovely and so cool and you should go. I want to go again, even though it probably hasn't changed since I was there last. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the thing I found yesterday. Where is it? I sent it to the university. Do they know what it is? Look, sorry to impose and disrupt, Mr. Furlong, but if you kindly take your seats, this will be over quite quickly. Now sit down! Ah. Uh. Put him the fuck down, Furlong. This is for the best, Zeke. But to kind of yes and the point that you made earlier, a lot of these teachers either are already aggressive or they definitely have a reason to be aggressive. Be um, aggressive. <laughs> B-E, B-E aggressive. B-E-A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E aggressive. Well, now you're just showing off. <laughs> uh, but no, they do all have like this motive, which is why it's not super apparent that something is definitely wrong with them. Um Unless you're a teenager. And Unless then you're you, aware of it. And then you notice these things immediately, which is why it's really funny that, you know, Shooter McGavin is Elijah Wood's dad. I know. Christopher, Christopher, Christopher I know McDonald. Christopher McDonald, I'm but like. Always excited to see him on the podcast. I think this is his third appearance. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be secretly in a lot of these without us realizing it. Probably. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's in House Bunny. He's in. He also has a menacing goatee. Grease, too. In he's this. in this. Yeah. So, like, he's he's around. Um, no, him him playing a hard ass makes total fucking sense. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I think it becomes more apparent once all the teens start getting infected yeah. because then it's like, oh, you're not just a bunch of burnouts and fuck ups anymore. Mm-hmm. You're raising your hand in class. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And this is where it feels very much like disturbing behavior, a movie we will definitely talk about on the show at some point. Another movie BJ was really stoked to show me around the time she first showed me this. Yes. Um, but like the idea of like the blue ribbons of, you know, the the assimilation is the goal. We want everybody to become one in the same. Like that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, that's what they're chasing here. Well, but the reason that the parents are so, you know, there can be the argument made of like, oh, well, they're already infected. The parents are infected probably. They're not. They're not. This is just an example of parents siding with the authority figures and not actually listening to their kids, Mm -hmm. which I want to say was like a very, very common thing in the 90s. Right. And especially with like all horror movies, but like body snatch invasion type films like this, it's always what is the invading force 
symbolizing. Mm -hmm. Like with the original body snatchers and stuff like that, it was like, oh, it was communism. Mm -hmm. It was the Russians. It was the, the Red Scare. By the time we get to here, it's like, well, is it that they're trying to like... Is, is it that the aliens are symbolizing, you know, a literal force or are they symbolizing like a correction of things mm -hmm. where like the kids are doing drugs. The kids are doing all these things like, God, just look, look how it must look like when they hold a gun to the principal's head. And it's like, are you high? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you give your let your kids get drugs, then they're going to do things like shoot up the school. These these are the fears and all that like the teachers are trying to do, all that the parents and all these other people who voted for Ronald Reagan are trying to do is keep their kids safe and put them back on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. And like, this is exactly what this movie is about. This is about kids rebelling against people who voted for Ronald Reagan. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, grew up under the, you need the to assimilate. of Reaganism. The, the, the Ronald Reagan, who is a 50s throwback to some Leave it to Beaver America that never properly existed. Exactly. And we see that all reflected through our characters who are each a different take on kind of like a John Husey archetype. Mm -hmm. um, so we have... Casey, played by Elijah Wood, who is your your proto nerd. He's you know he's not like a super nerd. Yeah, but he's a nerd. But he's a nerd. He's not a cool guy. He's an indoor kid. He's an indoor kid. He gets bullied. Um, Probably because he's small. He's small. He's weak. Mm -hmm. So he's an easy target. Think he's weak. Yeah. So we've got him, but you also learn that you know he's very inquisitive and very curious, and he's. Horny, like he has wants and needs. He has desires. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he's creepily taking pictures of Jordana Brewster <laughs> without yes. her noticing and then putting them on his wall. Yeah, he, buddy, what are you doing? Um, and speaking of her, so she's Delilah and she's, you know, one of these, you know, queen bees of the school. She's also kind of an ice queen. Like mm -hmm. she's kind of mean. Yep. And just because that's what her face does. Same thing when we watch Debs where I'm like, yeah, but everything about her looks makes her look like she's queer. I know. <laughs> Every single thing about her, like her minimal makeup, her eyebrows, her mm -hmm. bone structure, is just like, are you sure? <laughs> I think are we... You, are you... Jordana, are you sure that like... <laughs> Are you sure you're straight? <laughs> and, I'm absolutely judging a book really hard by the cover there. <laughs> and, you know, she's dating Stan, who is a football player. He's our proto Troy Bolton because mm -hmm. he's a football player, but he wants people to, uh, you know, think about him as not just an athlete. And he's real. He's recognizing. He wants to play a sport that he's less good at. He wants to play a sport that he's less good at. And he wants to study, even if it means failing, because he knows that he's getting pushed through the system mm -hmm. uh, because he's a good athlete. And you why, know, oh, why can't Jordan Catalano read <laughs> the thing that I love the most about it, though, is he has his little speech about it and it is unintentionally the gayest fucking speech. And this is a pretty gay movie, but he's like, I, I got my D. I worked hard for that D. I want my D. And I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, <laughs> do you hear yourself? Yep. Um, so we, we, we hadn't really shortened it to like the D. Yet. Right, it wasn't there yet, so no. it's... We were much more on the nose about things, being like, oh, you're eating a hot dog, you're fag. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, That's about he, as creative as we he's, got. He's committing so hard. Um, and then we have Stokely, and Stokely is our, like, edgy goth girl. Um, she's who, not even goth, she's just ambiguously alternative. Pretty much. She probably likes garbage there on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and she is believed by everyone in school to be a lesbian, probably because she's Clea fucking Duvall. Yeah. Um, and they can just smell it on you. Yep. But uh, she she's 
canonically not a lesbian. She's just letting people think she's a lesbian because then they at least leave her alone. No, guys, I swear my favorite garbage song is queer, but it's a coincidence. (laughs) Um, Which is like a very weird take on this character because everything about her just screams lesbian. Well, was she supposed to be? See, there's conflicting reports. Some say she was supposed to be, and it was changed by the Weinsteins. Some that say sounds correct to she me. was never supposed to be, and that it's just because she's being played by Clea Duvall that like she just radiates queer energy. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. But the idea that somebody would pretend to be gay because it would get them to be left alone in the '90s is an insane thought to me. Correct. Because the '90s was not a super chill time to be gay. No. Um, so I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about. I think this. we were on the upswing of uh things being more accepting like we're, we're post like to Wong Fu and shit like that we're starting to be like well queerness is creeping into mainstream culture and we're going oh well maybe it's not so bad yeah we're, May- just, we're maybe, not there maybe yet. the gay plague we exaggerated that a little bit in the 80s and, you know mm-hmm. and then George Bush will happen and we go and just squash that right back down yeah it's 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 a very weird time period. it's tumultuous yes yeah yeah that's putting it lightly Um, Then we have Zeke, Josh Hartnett, and his fuck-ass hair that he did himself. He has, this era, he always has some weird hairdo. Like, we did 40 Days and 40 Nights on the Patreon a while ago, I think for Lent, whenever that is, and he's, like, really greasy the whole time. Yeah, he's super greasy in this movie, but that haircut he did himself. It's so choppy. Why? Yeah. Why? Who, know. who knows? It stands out, man. It's funny. Maybe maybe his character fell asleep with gum in his mouth, and he had to cut it. Sure. Whatever logic we want to use here. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, the drug dealer with a heart of gold, and he's also, you know. Does he have a heart of gold, or does he just kind of not want to die? I think he doesn't want to die, but also, like, he's, because, like, his big thing with his drugs, like his scat, as he calls it, um, which, did we know what scat meant then? I feel like we did, but who knows? I don't know. This is about the year Scat Man John came out. Yeah, that's true. Scat meant something else. (laughs) Scat also means shit. I'm aware. (laughs) I love that you, oh, really? Thank you for spelling it out for me. Well, because when you were like, well, Scat Man John came out this year, I was like, Harmony. Dude, I'm taking the high road on my comedy here. I'm not. I'm sorry. (laughs) Clearly, you're going with poop jokes. (laughs) Oh, the D. (laughs) But anyway, <laughs> he, you know, his drugs, like, they're not actually all that harmful. It's, like, mostly caffeine pills. Yeah, like, and that's, it's, it's a Saved by the Bell episode. Yeah, I think he says caffeine pills and some other household stuff, which, like, that's a little risky. It apparently but makes you trip, but, like, I think it mostly just gives you a bunch of caffeine to the brain. It's guaranteed to jack you up. Like, that's the funniest <laughs> thing about it is it's just, it's mostly caffeine pills, and it's, it's like when you give drugs to a person who's never done drugs before, and they're like, wow, I can, I'm drunk already. It makes like, me think I took I just took a sip of beer. I think I'm hammered. It makes me think of an episode of Bob's Burgers when they steal Linda's margarita mix. Like oh, yeah. there's no actual alcohol in it, but they're drinking and they're like, "Oh, I already feel it." And you're like, "That's sugar." I, I think there's a King of the Hill episode where they steal Bloody Mary mix and yeah, do the exact same thing. Same thing. <laughs> We're just like, "Wow, I'm so fucked up." And like, yeah, good. Take Danny Masterson's money. Fuck him. Yeah, fuck Danny Masterson. Yeah, he's in this movie. Fuck him. He this is, sucks. This is not my favorite appearance of Danny Masterson around this time. My favorite is in Face Off when John Travolta whoops the shit out of him. As as he deserves. <laughs> Good. Um, so that's, you know, kind of who Zeke is. And then we have Mary Beth, little Mary fucking the, sunshine. The, 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 new, the new Southern Belle. The new girl from the South who is as wholesome and American as apple pie. Yes. She's incredibly cast. This is exactly who she needs to be, especially because this is a movie about assimilation and 
She's she, American. She is. She's a the regular poster, misfire cracker. The poster child for that. Um, so, the, you know, these are ragtag kids. I like that they're playing with the different cliques. I think that that's really smart. And of course, in a very Breakfast Club type of way, all the cliques have to work together to take down the aliens that are invading their school so that they can all maintain their individuality and yeah, man. stop the alien invasion. And somehow they all make it to the end of the movie. Which is so nice. I mean, Mary Beth doesn't because, uh, well, I mean, spoiler, she's the, she's queen, the alien. queen But the uh, rest of them do. All the human characters make it to the end of the movie. Like, in a different, much more cynical movie, they would just kill everyone. Right. Be like, we gotta gun down the thing. It's like, maybe we can cure the zombieism. Doesn't matter. That's not your mother anymore or something. <laughs> I mean, some of those teachers do die and they're gone. But I know, they, but they disappear. The, the body count is remarkably low for a movie like this. Yes. Agreed completely. Um, so this is what we're dealing with here, which is very much a invasion of the body snatchers, the thing, but high school. Like that's something that walks among you. Yeah, something that walks among you, something that is trying to change fundamentally change you to be what is perceived as a better, more utopian sort of society. A better American, if you will. A better American, if you will. Yes. Um like the aliens aren't saying that, but that's essentially what they're getting to. Yes. It absolutely is. Everything about them is just all American. And yet, as we know, like the American dream in this so-called like picture perfect, make America great again world, like that doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. That's not real. And also like being carbon copies of each other, like that's not a good thing. Like that's a bad thing because whose idea of, of America is this? Whose idea of goodness is this? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that these teenagers are questioning and I feel like I mentioned this quote on a previous episode, but it's still just living rent free in my brain and I don't care. But I got to interview Jennifer Lee from, uh, she's one of the heads at Disney animation. She directed the frozen movies and we were talking about like teen protagonists and Disney movies. And she said, being a teenager, especially like 17, 18 is one of the like most interesting ages because you are old enough to know that something is wrong with the world, but you might not be old enough to know the answers to like how to fix it. But because you know that it's wrong, you're going to try to fix it anyway, even if you don't know how. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, very much on display in here is that they all know something is wrong and that this needs to be stopped and that this is not a good thing. But they're not going to be able to give a TED talk on like the importance of like individual personalities and the dangers of assimilation. Like, I don't think any of them are at that level. They just know that like, that's not a life that they want. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. But the concept of the status quo, like, I don't want to get to the ending of this movie too quickly, BJ, but this seems like a natural time to bring it up. What, what what's, what's normal for the f spiders chaos for the fly or whatever. Yeah. Like their status quo is high school being yeah. a bunch of shitty little teens and they mm -hmm. want to maintain their status quo mm -hmm. of like, you know, some disaffected youths in a post Nirvana world. Mm -hmm. We, we want to listen to Creed sing Alice Cooper going here. I'm 18. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a great cover. Um, but yeah, BJ, you, you've got some strong feelings about how people in, uh, interpret the end of this film. Would you like to share? I do. I'm actually going to pause it because I want to talk about sex first. Okay. And I think that the ending, we just, we just got to save it. We got to savor it. All so right. we'll just keep teasing. Sorry about edging everybody listening at home. Um, I want to talk about the sex stuff first because it leads into the ending. So there is an article I really liked on the Scream Queens website, um, which they do 
a biweekly column called The Final Girls Club where they look at like female-led horror cinema or characters, how they hold up. And they specifically talk about the faculty, uh, sexuality and conformity, and in particular, Stokely. The article says, surprisingly, it is outsider Stokely who gets the most screen time, a friendship between her and new girl Mary Beth blossoming before it all gets a bit mean girls. I hope you're not a violent lesbian like your newfound friend here, Delilah sneers. Is Stokely to be a weird girl who's actually gay rather than just coded as such in the vein of Janice Ian and Mean Girls or Kat Stratford and 10 Things I Hate About You? And what is framed as an edgy twist, it's revealed that she uses the identity of a lesbian as a way of getting the other kids to leave her alone, an anti-bullying tactic that many viewers may find laughable. Because Stokely may not be a lesbian, but she's still a freak. I always thought the only alien in this high school was me, she bemoans, a sentiment shared by the film's fellow losers, Mary Beth and Geek Casey. Even the popular kids explore the uncomfortable distance between who they should be and who they are. Like her character's inspiration, Cordelia Chase, from Buffy, Delilah works to hide her intellect and her vulnerability. It's not a unique idea. The alienating experience of being a teenager is also explored in the 1999 TV series Roswell, but it definitely aided by the high school setting. Everyone forgets about Roswell. I don't know what Roswell is. It was a teen series about Roswell, New Mexico. So there's like... That, I yeah. assumed from that Catherine context. Heigl's in it. Ooh. <laughs> the mask of lesbian allows Stokely to repress her attraction to jock with principles, Stan, adding to the faculty's overall lack of sexual urgency. And despite their relative hotness, our teenage protagonists are surprisingly chaste, at most sharing a couple of closed-mouthed kisses. But in contrast to this, the possessed adults of the faculty represent a genuine sexual threat, particularly through the archetypal football coach. Harassment has a really fine line, coach, says Principal Drake, baby New Earth, cornered in the darkened school in the film's opening sequence. Although Coach Willis is a recognizable predator, pinning Nurse Harper, Salma Hayek, to the ground and physically intimidating the boyish Casey, the sexual threat of the faculty is not solely perpetuated by male characters. Under alien influence, Delilah becomes a succubus. You know you want me, Casey. Let's do it together, she says, using his poorly hidden crush against him hum to humiliating and terrifying effect. Mirroring Delilah's earlier miniskirt look, bookish Miss Burke, that's uh, Famke Jansen, similarly turns Miss Robinson when possessed, threatening bad boy Zeke. Teachers, the faculty suggest, have the same urges as their students. They're just better at hiding it. Hello, Miss Burke. Hello, sweetie pie. What are you looking for? Uh, nothing important. So I take it you changed your mind about the chocolate laxatives? Actually, I had my heart set on something cherry flavored. You know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, I'm all out of those. I have something else for you, though. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Something tasty. This is definitely around the time that I remember people starting to talk about like hot teachers who would run away with their students and mm -hmm. be like, oh, my God, I wish I had that English teacher growing up. And then we still have, you know, old people making those jokes on Facebook to this day. They but still do it. I think the 90s is when that kind of started to make news. Well, that's because uh, the year prior in 1997 is when Mary Kay Letourneau pleaded guilty to two counts of felony second degree rape of a child mm -hmm. when she had a relationship with her 
12-year-old student that she oh. later married. I don't remember that student being quite so young. Yep, he was 12. That's the thing a lot Ooh. of people forget because he was also, um, he's also not white, um, which means that people tend to age, age him, him up. up. I think it was just because at the time he was older than me. Mm -hmm. So like, it was like, oh, he's older than that, right? Yeah, he was 12. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, she went to prison and they, they got out of prison and they got married, eh. which is, oh, it sure is something. She's eh. dead now. Um, oh. Wow. <laughs> sorry. She's dead now. <laughs> Should have something else. But yeah, that like that whole situation was a huge news thing because the claim was like, we're in love. You don't understand. We're actually in love. That episode of South Park. <laughs> With Miss Teacher and Ike. Yeah. The kindergartner. Yeah. Uh, yes. Like that episode is very much uh, like inspired by that situation. There's a lot of shit going on in the 90s, man. Mm -hmm. The 90s was a wild fucking time. Yeah. Um, so that I would say probably had something to do with uh, this this kind of through line of the story. Well, I also think that like... She's doing essentially the exact same things as Robert Patrick's character, mm -hmm. but like he were used to male aggression and it just feeling like vaguely homoerotic, but dudes being aggressive. Mm -hmm. But a when a woman's aggressive, much less a sexually aggressive, it stands out in your brain so much more. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly a big part of it. Oh, definitely. Um, so this article goes on to say, the sexual threat of authority figures is a relevant topic, and the premise of the faculty allows it to be explored more fully than other teen horrors. The more the school is invaded, the more the staff and students conform to ideals of productivity. The faculty room, previously a smoke-filled den of human failure, is filled with bottled water, clean fruit bowls. The students raise their hands in unison. The alien horde turns up to cheer on the football team. All-American wholesomeness hides the evil within, as the teachers, the police, and their parents all converge to collectively gaslight our heroes. The peril is real, not because they're fighting aliens, but because they're fighting adults. Mm -hmm. Like, that, to me, has always been one of the, like, the core things that I love about the faculty, because you take away the alien invasion part of this, you can change Nothing like change nothing about this except taking a, away the alien. This is still a very terrifying movie that I would 100% believe mm -hmm. if like an entire town was like, you know what? We've had enough. I'm fed up. We need these kids to get in, in order and we're going to do so by using force. I would 100% believe that, that shit. just like turns into mom and dad with Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, okay, a couple details about that. One, the teacher's lounge, which when when you were a kid was like the teacher's lounge, like this mythologized promised land in your head. It was in junior high. And then I went in it because we used to do like, you know, theater and, you know, things over the summer. And the teacher's lounge was used as a changing room because it uh -huh. had the least amount of windows. And so then I finally got to go in there and I was like. Just some tables and a couch and some vending machines. This is not as cool as I thought it was. Yeah, I I imagine that every teacher's lounge is the same as any break room, which is like, it's secretly like the most disgusting, sad place. I know. It's like just. Like anytime there's a break room and you work at like a place you work, it's like somewhere in a back room with like 
paint peeling off the wall and a bunch of dust that everyone's like, I'm on break. I'm not cleaning that. And everyone, I think, has this ideal, especially when you're a kid, of like, oh, I bet they have like great food in there, too, because like we no. have shitty school food. Then no. you like look in the fridge and it's just leftovers with Post-its that are like, if you eat this, I'll fucking kill your family. No, there'll be like a, a printout that someone made seven years ago, very sun bleached, taped to the front of the <laughs> fridge going like, remember, take your things away out of the fridge day of. Otherwise, it gets thrown out in the morning. <laughs> like, it's just passive aggressive coworker shit. But also, as far as like the football team is concerned and them playing stuff like, yeah, maybe we do give the football team a little too much money that they get to launch off fireworks every time they do a successful play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like when you're this age and you're starting to recognize that the adults in your life are not always there to help you. And then sometimes they genuinely do have the worst intentions at heart. That's a really vulnerable and scary thing like reckoning to have like I don't know if you ever had this did you ever have a teacher where you realized one day like one you should not be a teacher and not even necessarily because of like you know oh they're like you know professor bad touch or something Mm -hmm. but just like you're in this position because you like to wield power over people weaker than you uh I mean that's why I think a lot of people become cops I think it's why there's the the common trend of like the meanest girl you know becomes a nurse. This is yeah. not all nurses. I love nurses. I'm just saying the meanest girl you know is probably also a nurse. <laughs> there's a whole lot of that TikTok things that go around all the time. It's an alarming trend. But I don't remember specifically that, but I do remember in high school that I think like 80 to 90% of our male teachers were a coach for a sports team. And then they made them teach a class. Mm. And it's like, you shouldn't be a teacher. Mm-hmm. You're bad at this. Yeah, this is not your passion. No, <laughs> you, you're here to coach football or something. And you want to like, I don't know, stay young forever and live your glory days. You want to be like a macho fucking dude. It's like, I got cauliflower ear because I won state as a wrestler. <sighs> like they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you shouldn't teach math. <laughs> not necessarily your strong suit when all you're doing right. is reading the book and you don't really be, you're not able to answer me questions when I go well why this and he goes just memorize the formula shut up <laughs> maybe not a good teacher so that that's I think when I became aware of that which mm-hmm. is I think a very very close sibling of what you're talking about yeah no I think I think the, they're they're related for sure um so another thing I was going to bring up to you this movie was shot in Texas um, it takes place in Ohio. It takes place in Ohio, um, which I feel, you know, just feeds into the thing we see all the time on this show of Ohio being the standard for anywhere USA, mm-hmm. because it can be. It can be a rural town. It can be a suburb. It can be a city. They're all in the same state. Ohio is a, an alarming changeling. Mm-hmm. But in playing with these sexual politics of the invasion and how like that becomes the most noticeable change in a lot of them, like, yes, there's the hand raising. Yes, there's the following order. But the fact that like sexuality also comes with this to me is really smart because if this alien invasion is supposed to be showing like the best version of who you're supposed to be, like where there's no pain and everything is good, it's really interesting to me that for many of these characters, that means becoming sexual. Mm -hmm. That means embracing sexuality. And 
the only thing to combat these aliens that they have found is to dehydrate them because all of these aliens, like they're water-based, which is why you get like the great shot of like Robert Patrick just standing on the football field Bleh. while the sprinklers are going on him or standing in the rain. They're, they're all like, chugging just, water. He, they're standing in the rain with like their little alien tendrils towards the sky like they're turkeys, mm -hmm. but turkeys will drown. Yeah, because they're, <laughs> they're dumb. They're so stupid. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're all chugging water, which is a good thing. We should all be drinking more water, myself included. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are kind of the good things, but part of, you know, this, this idyllic society Society that they're building with these aliens is also being sexual beings, which mm -hmm. I like. And the way to fight that is with drugs. Yeah. Um, this movie is super like pro drugs, yeah. <laughs> which I think is kind of awesome. And I, mean, I can't believe they got away with it. Who consumes more caffeine than children? Right. Well, especially now, yeah. like where everybody's like, oh, I have to go get my Starbucks. I have to get or, my four Starbucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> I remember in high school, there would be people who'd be drinking like, four monsters a day and they had to get every flavor and then they had to display them all on shelves around their bedroom. No, don't do that. We're like monsters. I feel like anytime a new energy drink came out, people needed to like try out all the flavors. Like as soon as bang came out, mm -hmm. as soon as like G fuel came out, everyone's mm -hmm. like, I got to try all the flavors as a, as a connoisseur. And I just remember going like, and I had a Red Bull once and it made me sick. <laughs> I can't do this much shit. I drank caffeine as a small child with Mountain Dew and then I hit an age where I'm like, oh no, mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> so I don't know how people do it, but like it's, I think just like the first drug you become, you're able to consume as a small child. Uh, yes. Like as, as a teenager, you're able to legally buy this and it makes you feel in an elevated state. Mm-hmm. If it's not coffee, if it's an energy drink, even if it's just pop. Like... Oh, my brother had an addictive personality. Mm -hmm. When he first was allowed to drink coffee at like 13, 14 years old, uh, that lasted for a couple months. And then my parents went, you're not allowed to drink coffee anymore because he was drinking like three pots a day. Woo! Like an obscene amount of coffee. And they were going through it so quickly that they were like, this is too expensive. You're not allowed to drink coffee anymore. Yikes. And then he wonders why he never reached six foot. <laughs> he was probably done growing by that point. I was done growing by the time I was like 13, 14 years old. But, you know, that's probably not the case for most people. <laughs> yeah. So they discover that the caffeine pills, they do dehydrate out the aliens. It kills them. And that leads us to have this fantastic take on the blood test scene in The Thing where they all have Some to pens full of drugs. <laughs> they have to snort drugs out of like these cheap ass like Some thirty Bic. for five dollar pens. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that seems store. like a good way to do drugs. I think it's actually kind of like, smart. It's like it's like doing <laughs> cocaine, but you don't need to roll up the dollar bill. It's just in the dollar bill. Exactly. Like, just pixie sticks. Pixie sticks are just a little too snortable. Yeah. And then everyone got fucking headaches and bloody noses. Yeah, and everyone was spitting blue for like a week. Yeah, but like it, it just is a really easy way of administering a drug. Yes, it is. Um, but no, Take I think it straight to the head. I think it's really like it's a smart scene because it has like a lot of the tension of the blood test. Obviously, it's not as silent. Sure. And the because they're teens, they yell a lot. Exactly. <laughs> but the, there's also an aftermath to it. It isn't like the thing where, you know, McCready puts the, the coil in the blood and it's just silence and a little steam and ooh, a little bit of relief. Like now you have them laughing like idiots mm -hmm. because they're high. And that is great because now you have like high people who are just completely a little a little out of their gourd uh, trying to maintain order and they yeah. can't. Oh, yeah. Like. Snorting drugs and then trying to hold a gun to someone in this movie is certainly an interesting predicament to be in. Right. Um, the way BJ specifically said it, her 
BJ's specific verbiage was, I love that this is the blood test scene from the thing, but dumb. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, dumb is a neutral term. Yeah. Um, it's just them. It's, it's they're being smart, but also super stupid and childish at the same time. It's so childish. Like, this is absolutely like teenage approach to it because they do it throughout. Like after they suspect that Stan might be infected, they give him the drug and they're just like yelling through the door like, yeah, do it. Do the drugs. Mm-hmm. And you're like. All right, calm down, and Elijah. Then he doesn't do the drugs. <laughs> nope, he dumps it. He wastes all that good shit. Yeah. Some rudeness. I mean, people wasting shit. Fucking Mary Beth dumps all of their drugs, which we find out, like, you know, she's a mole. Mm-hmm. But, like, she dumps all their drugs and dehydrates the principal like she's a slug. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't even the only reference to the thing in this movie, because after, you know, Miss Burke takes down Zeke and they end up in the in the car accident, um, her disembodied head is rolling around on the ground, and it is very much the thing. This but- Mars attacks ass looking <laughs> severed head with the CGI with, with the Mars CGI attacks. body getting up and just being like, "Oh goodness, where's my head?" It's so Scooby Doo and funny. <laughs> it's so goofy. I love it. Oh my goodness! Like it makes sense to reference the thing though, because arguably the thing is the best horror sci-fi film ever made. Oh, it's unquestionable in my opinion. I mean, some people will be like, but aliens, but body snatchers, like there's there's contenders, but there like, are, but that's it's why not it's arguable. Thing. It's not the thing. God, the effects in the thing. <laughs> the thing is so fucking God, good. the thing. God, Kurt Russell's beard. Robotine's effects in the thing deserve like their own highlight. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Why would we ever do CG? Why? I don't, like, why ever? (laughs) Like, you watch that movie and you're like, do we need computers? We built the Audrey 2. We built the creatures from the thing. (laughs) Why would we ever do CG? (laughs) No, totally, totally. I went to the end of these stories, Duckley. How does Invasion and the Body Snatchers turn out? We get off. They win. We lose. Maybe we really win. Stan, he didn't look unhappy. It's because it wasn't Stan. I took away who he was. Maybe they just bettered who he was. Cleared away his confusion. I know you pride yourself on being the outsider. Aren't you tired of being something you're not? I know I am. But there's another article that I'm going to be referencing, and this will also lead us into the ending because this... uh, I agree with this take, and I'm just so thrilled that I'm not the only person on the planet who has it. Uh, But in talking about the drugs, uh, this this is an article from the AV Club called The Faculty is the Bleakest and Most Subversive Film of the 90s Studio Teen Horror Cycle. It's by Alex McLevy, um, one of the best writers that the AV Club ever had. Um, Unfortunately, no longer works there because they use AI now, which is, you know, great. Love that for us. It's terrible. Um, But in talking about the drug use in this movie, Alex says... And that's the hinge on which the entire movie pivots. The only real way to demonstrate your humanity in this world is to get high. Either you're willing to snort drugs for God and country, or you're clearly an agent of evil. He's tweaking. Let him fucking tweak, Zeke insists when another character dares to try and rain on the parade of good times had after Casey is the first to sniff up his dote of scat. This is how we know we're human. We can handle our drugs. 
There's not enough drugs in this world, Nurse Harper mutters to herself earlier in the film. The climactic showdown with the alien queen ends when Casey traps it behind the gymnasium bleachers, whips out a tube full of scat, and reiterates Zeke's feel-good promise, guaranteed to jack you up. It is a wonder Williamson's tactic didn't get called out by executives at Dimension worried about pissing off anti-drug forces, a coalition always strong in Hollywood, especially when it comes to kids. But somehow a film explicitly marketed to teens, which insisted that doing drugs was not only cool, but just might be your patriotic duty as a young citizen of the world, was released into the world on Christmas Day to spread a message of joy and pro-drug celebration. Hunter S. Thompson would be proud. <laughs> because that's the other thing people forget. This movie was released on Christmas. Why? Because it was counter-programming. Okay. Like, sure, I guess. That's, that's a weird, like, maybe that's one reason this movie didn't make as much money. Because it's exactly it feel, why it feels it didn't. weirdly out of season. Yeah. <laughs> this should have been a summer movie. Yeah. But Alex then goes from there to talk about the ending, which I would love for us to dive into. So after the alien is destroyed, we get our ending and we see all of these characters kind of living new lives. Uh, Stan has quit the football team. Stokely doesn't wear lots of smudgy black eyeliner and has now invested in a purple cardigan. Um, Casey and Delilah are dating and Casey is now like kind of popular and he's on the cover of all these magazines. He saved the world. Because he saved the world and discovered that little alien specimen. You know, everything everything was right in girl world, so to speak, to mm-hmm. quote Mean Girls. Um, and a lot of people have found this ending to be like a total betrayal of this movie because it's like, why would the message be like, fight for individualism, fight for individuality, like don't conform, that's terrible, only to defeat the aliens and then like completely abandon who you are as a person. That's the common read of this movie. And I get why that's how people take this movie because that's the text of the movie. But movies are a visual medium. And there's an entirely different story happening around them that completely undercuts this message and makes this an extremely bleak movie. After defeating the alien, the film's coda jumps to a month later and we see our heroes have ended up. Burnout drug dealer Zeke is now a full-fledged member of the football team and it's implied he's dating Miss Burke, albeit he's still enough of a rebel to enjoy a smoke on the field in between plays. Uh, Stokely is now devoid of her all-black aesthetic, prettied up a la Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club, and is Mm -hmm. dating Stan. Casey's now dating the most popular girl in school, Delilah. The two of them fielding offers from local and national news outlets to give exclusives on how he vanquished the alien menace. And Mary Beth is dead. And Mary Beth is dead because she's an alien, (laughs) and fuck her, she's gone. You know, like, there are dolphins who like to ram themselves into pufferfish to get high. Maybe if her species had done that on their planet of vast oceans, they would have had tolerance. Yeah. And so if you read this, you know, ending on its face, then yeah, it's it's a betrayal to the movie. But that's not what the movie is saying. It might be what the script is saying. It's not what the movie is saying. Mm-hmm. So as Alex says, there's a far darker reading of the film that is supported by the visual story, a thread that cuts against the grain of the actual dialogue, undercutting and mocking the very words uttered by the characters. The conservative assessment misunderstands what the film is trying to do. It is not showing how trials and tribulations can help misguided kids come to their senses and join the system. It's saying there is no outside system to begin with. The entire structure of school and the kids within it, according to this interpretation, is destined to repeat over and over the same cliques, 
prejudices, cruelties, and interpersonal forces of pain that mistreated our protagonist so badly in the first place. These characters can't see beyond themselves far enough to realize the world has not improved. They're just occupying different places in it. Mm -hmm. This is best exemplified by the role of the bullied in the film. During the character introductions, we watch as poor Casey gets lifted up and rammed repeatedly into the flagpole crotch first, collapsing on the ground in pain. Silently bearing his torment, Casey's misery is meant to show us that Harrington High is not a good place. But at the end of the film, when his new beau Delilah goes arm in arm with him off to meet the latest wave of reporters, Casey marvels at how the alien invasion turned things around at his school. Things sure have changed, haven't they, he says. And as he does so, the exact same bullies from earlier in the film enter the frame and run a new kid, crotch first, into the flagpole. Contrary to the dialogue, the film suggests Casey is wrong. Things haven't changed at all. Appearances may shift, but the underlying structure remains untouched. There is no success here. Things are not better for having saved the world from an alien invasion. It's a borderline nihilistic message and a much more interesting one than the straightforward interpretation would offer. The faculty works so well because it zigs where a zag is anticipated, because it belies the surface of its story with a far bleaker one underneath. And most of all, it just wants everyone to do some drugs. Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Williamson tweaked their noses at acceptable teen movie messaging. Let them fucking tweak. One of many reasons why dudes with their jerseys tucked into their jeans are terrifying. <laughs> They will absolutely bully you and hate crime you and run you nuts first into a pole. Yes. And like that is the thing that I love so much about this movie because I will admit when I was younger and saw this movie, that was my interpretation. You paying attention to the background details. Yeah. I saw Stokely in a purple sweater and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? You and were like, following the characters. Yes. You're paying attention to the characters we've been following the whole time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So like, I get why that's how people interpret this. But once you start looking at what's going on in the background, what the real story is, not the one that you're being presented, not the message that people are hoping that you're paying attention to, but the stuff that's really going on, which that's what this movie is about, is what's really going on. Mm -hmm. You look at what's really going on and you realize, oh, shit, no, it's still bad. Like, it's still fucking bad. Well, that's because like... You leave high school before you can really enact any kind of significant changes in it. Yes. And then you become like an outsider. Either you become a super senior who's going to McConaughey your way back to hang out with high school kids and everyone thinks you're so cool, but you're a fucking loser. Or you go ahead and become like an adult who moves on. Yeah. So then it's just a bunch of young people following the exact lead they've had from everyone else who's ever left. And that's why high school remains pretty consistent. Yeah. Like, the movie is not telling us that Stokely now wearing a cardigan and not wearing eyeliner anymore is a good thing for her. The movie is actually pretty obviously telling us this is bad. Like, Don't they, you feel bad about this? Like, they think that, she, like, she thinks that she's doing something here. And, like, all these characters think that, like, they're doing something here. It, no. Like, it's like the, the, the rebellious Zeke, like, he doesn't need football to kind of, like, straighten him up and, like, get him in line. Like, that's not what's that's not what the movie is telling us he needs the movie is saying all of these kids even after the alien invasion still are fulfilling the status quo of what is expected of them or what they're supposed to be doing and they think oh because this is different this is better it's not better 
it's just different. Shit's still really bad. Man, they like they went through a lot. Maybe they're just taking the easier route for now. Th- that's another thing too to think about is like, like maybe they're just tired of fucking fighting it. It's really hard to be rebellious against the entire world for so long. Like class classic thing that gets ripped off all the time. You know, Cleveland versus the world. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that every single time it's like Detroit versus the world, Atlanta versus the world, where they do these like really cheap off-brand shirts. No, no, that was a Cleveland thing. Mm -hmm. That was the World Series when literally the entire country wanted the Cubs to win except for Ohio. Mm -hmm. Cleveland versus the world. Sometimes it's just exhausting having the whole world against you. Mm -hmm. And then they rip off your shit so they can feel like they're up against something even though everyone punches down at Cleveland and Detroit. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but it's just sometimes fighting's hard and sooner or later, like, yeah, you can still uphold your ideals, but like sometimes you just need a break. Yeah. You know, this isn't who they're going to be forever. This is who they are right now. Yeah. Because this is the same thing we had with the end of the breakfast club when we were talking about Ali Sheedy and Bender and all of them just being like, this is this, who knows what next day will look like. Exactly. And because we know who these characters are, it's like everyone likes to look at Casey and Delilah getting together at the end. It's like, oh, this is a good thing. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, Delilah is really excited to be with Casey because we know Delilah's an opportunist. All she cares about is, like, appearances and maintaining, like, order and status quo and being at the top of the social hierarchy. So who does she partner with? The guy who's on the cover of Time magazine. That's who she wants to be with. And we know that Casey should not be with Delilah because he's a fucking creep and has been stalking her Mm -hmm. and taking pictures of her without her knowledge for months like a fucking weirdo. Like They should not be together. And it's like, so we know all these things about these characters. So whenever people give the interpretation of like, oh, this movie betrays its characters. No, it doesn't. It shows us exactly who these characters are. Mm -hmm. And honestly, with Stokely, I still think she's queer. I think she is a lesbian. I think she doesn't want to be a lesbian. She's just like, you know what? You're right. It is hard. I'm pretending, I'm just leaning into this like, oh, I'm a lesbian thing and I'm being treated like shit. I'm not actually invisible the way that I would like to be. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna course correct here, and now people are gonna leave me alone, and they do. Yeah. They're not bullying her anymore. Your black clothes, which like she looks like what a goth actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Like people are just like, oh, this is what a goth looks like, and I was like, no, that's what a goth looks like on the internet, and mm-hmm. it has looked like that since the early 2000s. This is what most goths always looked like in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, that that armor that you're wearing, all those black clothes, that's not actually gonna get people to leave you alone. No. Disappearing gets people to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she's you just blending stand in. out. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's blending in now. And, you know, the same thing with Stan is like Stan quits the football team and it's seen as like, oh, this is this, you know, great thing. How good for him. And it's like, cool. So Stan now is no longer doing, you know, ath- athletics. And sure, it's it's honorable and it's noble that he's going to try to be a better student. But we know that he's not the brightest bulb. Mm-hmm. Um so what happens to him after high school when he can no longer get into college? Yep. What happens to Stan? I don't know. He becomes a cop. Right. Like, is he going to become a cop? Is he going to become a townie? Like, what are we going to, what's going to happen here? Right. And so it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, there are such like nihilistic negative reads to all of their endings and how it's not good for them. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't who any of them are. And I don't think like, and and yes, I understand why people have the read. It's it, that's the obvious read. But when you really, really think about that's it, you're the read like, it wants you to have. Yeah, that's the read because again, yeah, it's this is it the, doesn't want this you is to what notice what's going fed. actually on. Yeah, they're like, no, no, no. This is what we want you to believe. Thought police stuff, like, and that's why this movie's so brilliant because it is so much more layered and nuanced and bleak 
than people give it credit for being because it's such like a fun, goofy time. But this is such an honest and depressing fucking look at high school. And I'm obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they made a good fucking movie. Agreed. And on that note, Harmony, the faculty is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? It's a yes. Like, of course it is. I love the people that worked on this movie. I love everyone in this movie and how they play their characters. Like, as much as we want to be like, oh, the CG doesn't look super great. And it doesn't. They do have really good practical effects. Like, we didn't even talk about the old lady whose skin is falling off. Yeah, that's solid. Like, the the teacher. And they're like, she has cancer. And it's like, that's not what that does to your body. No, it does not. <laughs> um, and I'm sure to some people that's terrifying. Like, when we did a screening of Shining at the work the other day, a bunch of people had to, like, like at least a dozen people walked out of the theater and they were like, oh, my God, uh, this part just freaked me out as a kid and I can't be like in there. The, like, the bathroom scene? It, it gives me the yeah. willies. I can't be in there. And it's just like, there's nothing more terrifying than a gross old lady who's <laughs> naked. <laughs> we hate naked old people. Oh, no. Exactly. Yeah. Grow up. But anyway, Till yeah. as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, this, is, this is a yes. It's great. Two thumbs up. Two enthusiastic thumbs up. Yeah. One one for Rodriguez and one for Kevin. Oh, beautiful. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It's it's a favorite. I'm glad that I'm glad it still holds up. And I don't know, there is something charming about kind of the goofy CG. And I like the alien design. I like that the alien design is like, I don't know, like a cicada octopus. Big fan. Yeah. It's got that big squid beak. Yeah, I know. I love it. Also, this movie did make me really, really afraid of bleachers because I used to have to like go underneath them at like baton contests and stuff all the time. And in the back of my head, I'm I was like, die. what if it closes on me? Ours weren't electric squished. like that. We had to push ours. We did too. Yeah. One one set of ours was electric. The other side you had to push. Mm. <laughs> but we thank you as always for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at this at prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter for now. Every, yeah, we'll every, see. every week it's like, maybe this will be the week I'll stop plugging it because the site's finally going to go belly up. But for the time being, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Veloci underscore trap underscore tour, and at Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band are you recommending this week inspired by the faculty? So there's a lot of ways I could have gone with this. And whilst I know that a lot of people have a great deal of love for really heavy licensed uh, radio rock soundtracks of this era, it's not really my forte. And a lot of people who are making music that sounds like that just come across as a little too um, misogynistic for my taste. So we're going with something that feels like a Robert Rodriguez song and a Kevin Williamson song. We're shouting out uh, an artist called Soviet Shiksa. And from what I can tell, it's just a dude who describes what he makes as nightmare jazz. And I've heard some of it. It sounds like nightmare jazz. I, I should, <laughs> you would hear from it because you sent this to me from in, from TikTok. Yep. I so, got a TikTok and I was like, the hell is this? This is absolutely some shit that I would listen to. <laughs> uh, it's got the gravelly like intensity of like Rob Zombie but mixed with like country music that you listen to while driving through the desert but also has these like dour low-key moments like very red right hand very Nick Cave in that regard and also a horn section sometimes we love a horn so there's section. a lot going on it's very seasonally appropriate I think it's creatively appropriate um, the songs that I like the most are Lover Choked and Wendigo so once again, that's Soviet Shiksa. All righty. 
Give them a listen and we will see you next week with even more horror goodness. Thanks for listening and save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. bug me, you know? I worked hard for that D. That was my D. I deserved that D. I just wish people would let me be, you know? A D student. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.